the complex situation in Ukraine. The fake news media is selling a simple propaganda version of how we got here by Brian Cates. Here's the one thing about Ukraine's current situation that led to this war that most people aren't aware of or don't know the full story about. The root causes of the current conflict began simmering back in the early 1990s, started boiling in 2014, and finally blew up in 2022. Settle in. This one will take a while. One of the harsh realities of the former Soviet Union, USSR, was that its conquests redrew national boundaries just as ruthlessly as the Catholic Church and Western colonial powers that Stalin and Lenin so stridently criticized, in forging the republics of the Soviet Empire, often at the point of a gun, nations and ethnic groups with long, contentious histories were suddenly melded together under one ruthless, centralized political system in Moscow. Fear of brutal reprisal suppressed most nationalist urges and buried long-held ethnic animosities as long as the hammer and sickle flew over the various state capitals of the sprawling Soviet enterprise. By the mid-1980s, however, the cracks were beginning to show. Once the Russian bear was no more, plenty of ambitious ethnic rabble-rousers and nationalist leaders were primed to begin a new era of shifting national and ethnic boundaries. When the Soviet Union collapsed in 1988, organized crime in the various former Soviet republics didn't materialize out of nowhere. All during the Soviet expansion and throughout the height of its powers, there were thriving black markets in Ukraine, Georgia, and other states. What happened was the various ethnic mafias that had run the lucrative black markets under the Soviet Politburo now had nothing to restrain them during the transition from communist control to a capitalist-style market economy. As various ethnic and nationalist-related conflicts broke out in many of the former Soviet republics, especially in the ones in the region known as the Balkans, highly organized criminal organizations were directly involved. Far from being peripheral figures in the racial and political conflicts breaking out all over Eastern Europe after the USSR's collapse, the organized ethnic criminal gangs were often major players in starting and profiting from these conflicts. Various Russian and ethnic mafias were not the only ones seizing the opportunity to set up lucrative enterprises in the Wild West atmosphere that quickly developed in Ukraine and other Eastern European nations during this rough transition time. The billionaires of the World Economic Forum and George Soros took full advantage of the chance to move in and set up enterprises with little or no oversight. Dozens of corporations and NGOs were quickly established in Ukraine for the sole purpose of functioning as fronts for money laundering and other criminal enterprises. By 2014, the World Economic Forum's Soros Cabal had invested billions of their wealth in setting up Ukraine to be a money laundering machine for their worldwide depredations. And then they hit a snag. 
it seemed that the recently democratically elected president of Ukraine, Viktor Yanukovych, forgot who really ran the country and was starting to cause them some real problems. For one thing, to counter the growing influence of the Western cabal over his country, Yanukovych had become far too pro-Russian and was starting to make waves against the rampant corruption that the cabal needed to keep their operations inside Ukraine running smoothly. He either reneged on his allegiance to the cabal and began refusing their orders, or he got too big for his own britches and was asserting himself. Throughout the 1990s and into the 2000s, Ukraine's politicians had settled into walking a fine line between appeasing Putin in Moscow while still asserting enough independence and cozying up to the West, which meant overtures to the European Union and NATO as a counterbalance to Russian dominance. It's a tricky tightrope to walk, and in attempting to do so, Yanukovych managed to get too close to Putin while rebuffing repeated attempts of the Western cabal to assert more control over Ukraine. By 2014, Soros, the World Economic Forum, and the U.S. State Department and others who use Ukraine for their money-laundering dumping ground, among far more nefarious international criminal enterprises, decided to solve their Yanukovych problem by launching a color revolution to topple him and replace him with a new puppet. This became known as the Revolution of Dignity. Far from being a true grassroots uprising against a corrupt regime in Kiev, the Revolution of Dignity was actually an astroturfed sabotage operation to remove a legitimately elected government and replace it with a puppet government. It helps to think of the regime in Kiev installed by these outside forces as a criminal organization disguised as an actual government because that's pretty much what it is. Yanukovych was replaced by Petro Poroshenko, who quickly reversed most of Yanukovych's pro-Russian and anti-corruption policies. However, this installation of Poroshenko by outside forces led to a new problem. The ethnic Russian region of Donbass in eastern Ukraine refused to submit to the Poroshenko government and did not recognize it as being legitimate and revolted. This is what has led to the ongoing conflict that's been happening in the eastern half of Ukraine for the past eight years. Having a weakened military, Kiev struggled to bring the Donbass region back under its control. They were losing ground early in the fight until a new player entered the picture. Privately funded paramilitary groups, such as the infamous Azov Battalion, showed up to fight for the Kiev government against the Donbass region. Although these groups had previously existed, they now had new funding and expanding military capabilities. Film director Oliver Stone's gripping Ukraine on Fire documentary is well worth watching. It delves deeply into the background of the causes of the coup in Ukraine in 2014 and the civil war that it directly fostered. There is now a follow-up documentary entitled Revealing Ukraine. Even before all of this ethnic and nationalist strife was touched off by the installation of Poroshenko's puppet regime, back in 2005 to 2009, the game was afoot 
concerning the creation, development, equipping, and funding of bioweapons labs in Ukraine by the cabal using our own U.S. health agencies and Department of Defense. Senators Richard Lugar, Republican of Indiana, and Barack Obama, Democrat of Illinois, played a direct role in the U.S.'s establishment of just one such biolab in Ukraine. This was extensively covered back at the time when, soon to be, President of the United States Barack H. Obama was the junior senator from Illinois, getting his foreign policy chops under the tutelage of old hands like Lugar, John McCain, and others. A lot of claims were advanced in just the last two weeks about these biolabs in Ukraine, from outright denials that they exist at all, to artfully worded admissions that attempt to gloss over their nature and purpose. When the USSR collapsed, it left behind various bioweapons labs that then appear to have been subsumed by the newly formed Ukrainian government, and then, beginning in 2005, the United States began to very helpfully offer to come to Ukraine's assistance with offers to use American money and know-how to improve and safeguard the facilities. This happened at a time where it has turned out that the U.S. was establishing such relationships with over 300 biolabs worldwide. Biological weapons were a legitimate threat during the Cold War, so much so that in 1972, many countries signed an international treaty at the United Nations banning their use and development, called the Biological Weapons Convention, BWC. By the way, is anybody else wondering just what the hell people like Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton, John Kerry, John McCain, Barack Obama, Richard Lugar, and others were actually doing all those years in their tours of places like Syria, Libya, Iraq, Ukraine, Taiwan, China, etc.? So, since 2014, Russia has been nervously watching these twin developments right across its border in neighboring Ukraine mounting attacks on the Donbass region by increasingly out of control, and spreading private militias made up of actual Nazis, and the proliferation of bioweapons labs engaging in increasingly dangerous pathogenic experimentation. It's not like Putin hasn't told the people behind this puppet government in Ukraine to stop this activity. He warned them many times they were playing with fire. Many times since 2014, Russia's warnings fell on deaf ears. From PolitiFact, February 12th, 24th, 2022, Russia is targeting U.S. biological weapons labs in Ukraine invasion. Jeff Sersoni says, there are no U.S.-run biolabs in Ukraine, contrary to social media posts, end quote. All of these complaints and warnings from Putin about Nazis and bioweapons labs in Ukraine were dismissed in 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022, and are still being dismissed even now as Russian disinformation. But it's not disinformation. There were growing and increasingly dangerous and vicious Nazi groups roaming around eastern Ukraine committing atrocities and war crimes, 
And there were bioweapons labs in Ukraine, whatever fun euphemisms are being employed by propagandists to disguise this. Like using the term biological threat reduction facility. The Wuhan Institute of Virology in Wuhan, China was also one of these biological threat reduction facilities when COVID-19 supposedly escaped from there in late 2019 and went on a worldwide rampage. This is a complex situation in Ukraine and an information war is underway to ensure as much of the public as possible does not have an adequate or accurate historical background to understand the conflict because that will make it easier to swallow all the fake narratives they are currently throwing at you. Putin signed an agreement with the two Donbass regions, Donetsk and Luhansk, to come to their aid against the vicious, private, fascist militias that have inflicted more than 50,000 deaths in the region in the last eight years as they attempt to keep Donbass under Kiev's thumb. He did not go into Ukraine until he had that agreement signed by both of the region's leadership in hand. But before turning his attention to wiping out the private Nazi militias, the other pressing threat of the bioweapons labs had to be dealt with first. Reports on the ground from various sources mostly seem to agree that most of these labs have been destroyed at this point, and the Russians obtained plenty of evidence before blowing them up. This is what led to both Russia and China making public calls for the U.S. to fess up to the bioweapons labs and pathogens they were funding inside Ukraine. We're now at the stage in this where the U.S. is slowly admitting the existence of these bioweapons labs, but is trying to frame them as being completely under the control and funding of Ukraine and not the U.S., while also claiming these were mere biological threat reduction facilities. From Becker News, here are the documents the U.S. Embassy in Ukraine scrubbed on biological threat reduction labs, biological threat reduction labs, in quotes, Kyle Becker. Reminder, the Wuhan Institute of Virology was another one of those fun biological threat reduction labs the U.S. was directly funding when the COVID-19 virus somehow snuck out of the building and went on a worldwide rampage. And since that happened, we've learned that the long-rumored gain-of-function research actually was going on in Wuhan, and this illegal activity was being deliberately kept out of the reports that the EcoHealth Alliance was submitting to the NIH. The Russians are claiming that the United States has been directly violating the Biological Weapons Convention and that they will be showing the world what they found in these labs. It's going to be interesting over the next several days as we wait to see what happens. A sneak preview of my column for next week. World Economic Forum. The biggest danger to the security of a nation's citizens in the modern age is not a military invasion by an army of foreign soldiers. It's an infiltration of their government by an army of foreign billionaires sending soulless bureaucrats to get control of key offices in their nation's capitals. And when they're done infiltrating and getting control of a country's government, they move to take over the major news media outlets as well.